All right, awesome. Okay, I'm Brittany. Welcome to the North Paws Wilderness. Today, I am interviewing Jessica Reimer. Is that how I say your last name? Reimer. Reimer. Oh, I knew it. Gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so Minnesotan. Gosh darn it. <laughs> well, we have Jessica Reimer here. See, there I go again. We have Jessica Reimer, and we're going to be talking about ski joring. Uh, so thank you so much, Jessica, for taking the time to be on this episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you about ski joring, but I'm more so excited that we're going to be able to educate those who are interested in ski joring with this episode. So why don't you go ahead and give us a little intro of yourself? What's your kennel name? Where are you from? Um, and what races you did this year? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's super fun to be here and to be able to chat dogs. Um, yeah, so I my kennel name is just the Rhymer Pack. Um, we started with just a couple dogs, and you know, as we slowly added one here and there, by the time we got to four or five, we were like, oh, should we have a kennel name? Like, are we cool enough to do that? And at the end of the day, it was like, ah, we're just a pack of dogs. So we just went with the Rhymer Pack. Um, but we were based out of Anchorage, Alaska for a lot of years, and in 2020, we moved down to Northern California. So right now, we live and train and run wild um, just west of Truckee. I, I love uh, that. I, I I love how you say uh, you, you had a few dogs and then another one and then another <laughs> one and then a litter. So everyone that's listening, like if you get into ski joring, just know that uh, you you might get the bug and, and just keep <laughs> adding dogs. <laughs> and it, it's so true. And, you know, we were really good and restrained for a lot of years. Um, we So when I first started, um, I worked as a tour guide for a dog sledding company in the northern or in the Canadian Rockies. And so my husband and I, we ended up getting two puppies from from that company when we left. And even though they we had just been you know working as guides and our dogs were sled dogs they were alaskan huskies born and bred to run long miles it just never crossed our minds to put them in harness with only having one or two dogs and so you know i'd grown up watching sled dog races these big like sprint races with 12 to 20 dogs on a team and then i was guiding you know 10 to 12 dog teams and so when we only had one or two dogs we're like eh, they're just going to run feral in the woods and camp with us and backpack and be these adventure partners. And then a few years later, when we moved up to Alaska, everyone there has dogs, whether it's a Husky or a German Shepherd or a Golden Retriever, because it's winter for so long, everyone's on skis and ski touring or bike touring in the summer or running canny cross and harness dog sports up there with only one or two dogs was just so prevalent that we were like, oh, wait a minute, we don't need 20 dogs to have a big dog team to quote unquote dog sled. We can have just a couple of dogs that we can run and harness and we can do all of these really cool sports with them. So that's kind of how we jumped into the ski during and bike during and, and dry land side of things um, prior to bumping up into having now we have 12 dogs. But when we first started, we just had a couple. <laughs> so so know that everyone you, you have the potential to add 10 dogs. To your life. <laughs> so when you started back up here for a sec when you only had the two dogs how did you mm -hmm. even get into ski joring uh, just because that's what people did in Alaska no matter whatever breed they had 
Yeah. And so when we moved up to Alaska with our two Huskies, they were older at that point. I think they were eight years old. And so, you know, I, I went out and I was like, okay, we live in Alaska now. I'm going to buy cross country skis, even though I hadn't been on skis since I was probably 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And I got a, a friend had gifted me a, a dog harness and a bungee line for my dog. And so, and I bought a book. And so I read this book and it was like, if you don't know how to ski, do not hook yourself up to your dog and head down the trail. Learn how to ski first. And so I read that and I was like, you know what? That probably doesn't apply to me. It's fine. And so <laughs> not knowing how to ski, I strapped skis on and I hooked my dog up to me and it was like, okay, let's go. And we start going down the trail and I'm a yard sale. I'm wiped out everywhere. And <laughs> thankfully she was very patient and older and just like would stop and look back at me and be like, okay, whenever you're ready, get on up and we'll keep yeah. going. And so I got really lucky in that. My dogs were very patient um, and didn't really care. They weren't like, you know, one years old and just vying to go down the trail as fast as possible. So they gave me a lot of grace in me learning how to ski with them just plodding along so that when we did finally go and get two yearlings um, to ski with, I was a little more prepared for the speed and the strength and the chaos of an actual dog running full tilt with you on skis behind it. Yeah, I I think that's like I think that's important to share that your your dogs were experienced and that they were somewhat forgiving because I had the opposite experience, right? I, when I got my first husky, I was 21, working full-time, going to school full-time. Like I had no business having a dog at that point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go ski jour with this brand new puppy. And me too, I probably hadn't skied since I was 10 years old in gym class. And <laughs> I just bought skis and I was uh, gifted a used harness from a friend. And I just hooked her up and hoped for the best and Good Lord, like having a, a, a yearling who's just wanting to work, work, work. And all I do is like ski for 10 feet, fall down, ski for 10 feet, crash into a tree. That dog drug me up and down every trail. So I think it's like so important to emphasize that if people want to learn how to ski jour, like please try just Nordic skiing first and see if it's for you. See if you even yeah. like just the skiing part of it. Totally. Um, and like, we're, we're <laughs> laughing about it. And, you know, we, you know, my dogs were patient. They were old. Yours was young and vibrant and pulled you anyway. But I think one of the things that I see a lot is you can very easily sour a dog by doing mm -hmm. that. And so I think that's a, a big piece for people first starting out is like, yeah, we have all these funny stories of crashes and stuff. But in reality, if you have a dog that isn't bullheaded or isn't bred to be pulling you hard or isn't mm -hmm. patient with you or hasn't built a really strong relationship with you, you can sour them pretty quickly and a lot of probably what we'll talk about later today as well is you know everything should always be fun this is a game for them you're yep. doing it should be fun for your dog it should be fun for you and it doesn't mean you don't do hard trails or have hard times but the whole goal is to go out and have an adventure with your dog and for everyone to come back smiling and so if you you start off this quote-unquote game of ski drawing with your dog by making it hard and trying and you're stressed out because you're wiping out and you're yelling or whatever it is 
it's very, very easy for a young dog, especially a sensitive dog, to say, you know what, this isn't fun. Like, I don't like doing this. And so you'll notice they don't pull as hard or they'll start running beside you or you'll pull their harness out and they'll be like, mm, I'm good. I'm going to stay. <laughs> so it's, I think that's a really important piece when you're thinking about first starting out is being comfortable in your own skill set so that you're ready to make sure your dog's having a really good time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You took the words right out of my mouth. You really just want to make ski juring a game and make it a heck of a fun game. And, and you mentioned yelling and like, you know, 10 years ago when, when my dog Panda was, was one, I, I know I yelled and I know I crashed a lot. And like looking <laughs> back, I feel bad. Like I genuinely feel bad because I'm like, I didn't know then what I know now. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, there were times where I would crash on skis or stop or like holler at her and it did nothing. It didn't make the game fun. Yeah. I'm really lucky that she's like resilient and just loves the game of pulling because of DNA. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely for, for, I don't know, maybe a golden retriever, like a, a more soft and sensitive dog. If you were to, raise your voice, gosh, it could be all downhill from there, (laughs) metaphorically and and for real. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, I I would say, too, if if someone is first starting out with ski drawing, I always recommend to to try classic skiing because there's two kinds of skis, right? There's the classic skiing where your legs kind of just swish back and forth like you're walking. And then there's skate skis that are kind of like you have ice skates on. And I feel like maybe the the safer route to to ski joring, especially if you really don't have a lot of skiing in your background, is to start with some classic skis and you can go just as fast and get pulled just as hard, but it's, I feel like it's a little bit more safe. And I really like classic skis too, because you can kind of break your own trail. Whereas with skate skis, you can't, you'd have to have a groomed trail and you can't just break your own trail through the woods. And I think being adventurous with your dog is really fun when you can go off into the woods and, and make your own path. Yeah. And again, it really depends on, your skill level and what you mm-hmm. want to do. And so I guess I've now been, I'm going to put in quotations, ski during because I'm still not a very good skier, but for the last, you know, eight or nine years, and I still use classics, but that's because I have really good dogs and I just tuck down and hold on for dear life. And, you know, they pull me up or down or around or wherever, and I'm not really doing any skiing at all. Whereas my husband, he lo- he's a really good skier and he's a skate skier. And so for him, he skate skis and is able to go, you know, double the speeds I do and wow. can be a, a really active participant in that relationship. Whereas I'm more just like, okay, I'm just going to hold on. <laughs> We're going to go down the trail together Um, so again it's really up to your your comfort level and what you enjoy like I'm I'm similar to you in that I like doing the more exploratory off trail in the backwoods Um, but when you're when you love skiing and when you're when you're good at it and have a good dog um, it can be really exhilarating and really fun to be on the groom trails but you know going really fast and and exploring the trails that way with your dog right and and I think too um, no matter if you want to learn how to classic ski or skate ski and 
before you even add a dog, I think what's really helpful is ha- having a one-on-one private lesson. And and I say that because for the last 10 years, I've just been watching videos on YouTube and trying to better my technique that way. And it wasn't until this season that I was like, you know what, I'm going to spend the time and the money and just hire someone to do a private lesson with me. And gosh darn it, I wish I would have done that 10 years ago. (laughs) People will, clients will ask me, hey, how do I learn how to ski? Or they'll ask me for skiing advice and tips. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm not the one. (laughs) Please hire a skiing professional. And after that one session this year, it was so helpful. I kind of kicked myself in the butt for not doing it way earlier on. Um, So there's so many different options, no matter where you live, to try and find someone to do a Nordic ski lesson with you. But let's talk about how to learn how to ski jour and what resources are out there. It sounds like you have a a ski jouring group close to home that you're a part of. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we just actually so we started a few years ago when I moved to California, a couple of us in the area started a Facebook group of, of people because, you know, we'd be running our dog teams out at, at trails and we'd meet people at trailheads with, you know, a border collie or a poodle or whatever it is. And they'd be like, oh, I would love to like be able to ski with my dog or work with my dog in harness. And we're like, hey, you totally can. But I think there's often it's hard to get into if you don't know where to look or or what to do. And so what we've actually done is we hold monthly meetups in the Truckee area um, where anyone, it doesn't matter your skill level, can come out and and see other people running and learn how to do it with their dog and this year we we held our first virtual ski tour clinic and so we did you know a couple hours online where we walked through very simple things of how to get into it and gear and commands and how to make it a fun game for your dog and to build your relationship and then the next weekend we went and met out at the trail and so I think a lot of the times plugging into local people that that do it is kind of the best way because your dog can learn a lot from watching other dogs. And so when you can go out with a group of people where your dog, if when you're first starting, might be a little confused as to what you're asking or what you want them to do, um, when they can see another dog doing it, it's a lot easier for them to be like, oh, that's the game we're playing. We're all going down the trail together. Mm-hmm. And so that can can really be a, a nice side of it. Um, but yeah, there's lots of online resources resources, YouTube videos, all sorts of stuff to kind of get your ideas around how do you get started in it. But I think finding local people to to hook up with, even if you're all newbies, it doesn't matter. Being out there together and doing it together, I think, can be a great way to start for sure. Yeah, I feel like um, it can be a little bit intimidating, but knowing that you're learning something new in a group of other people that are also learning something new, I think it helps make it a little bit less intimidating rather than just like people like you and I trying to do it on your own. Cause I too tried to learn from a book. I'm sure it was the same book. It's like this little blue and white book with yep. like a silhouette of a, of a dog pulling a woman on skis. <laughs> yep. Um, so I myself, I have to admit, I've never gone to a group meetup and, you know, I honestly haven't because I've just been afraid of 
too many people being at the group beat up or too many people on the trail in general uh, that maybe aren't part of the group and maybe they don't know trail manners or like ski joring etiquette is there anything that you guys preemptively tell people that are going to come to these group runs ahead of time in terms of like manners and etiquette at all yeah so we do so we do ski during in the winter or you're welcome to bring a kick sled or whatever you'd like and then we also do dry land meetups in the fall so with bikes or candy cross which we can talk a little bit about um but the the main thing that we always say is that even though you know there aren't in trekkie it's really leash laws are really relaxed and everyone mm-hmm. you know is walking their dog everywhere mm-hmm. but what we like to say is that at our meetups we want it to be inclusive. We want it to be inclusive for people who maybe have reactive dogs, who maybe have young dogs who aren't necessarily quite socialized yet, and for people whose dogs are well socialized. But we don't, you know, it's not a dog park meetup where everyone, every dog needs to say hi to everyone and we're there for all the dogs to play together. These events and what we're doing, especially when we're getting together with a bunch of people, is helping you build your relationship with your dog and working together. And being around other people doing the same thing can be really beneficial in learning skills and tips and tricks and motivating your dog. But again, we're not there to interact with each other. We're there to work on our own relationship with our dog. And I think that often takes a lot of the pressure off of people who are a little bit nervous or like a lot of my dogs, they're young or they haven't grown up going to the dog park. And and when they're working, they're working. They Mm -hmm. don't want to interact with other dogs Mm -hmm. and they'll get snippy because they, you know, this other dog is in their face and distracting them from their job. And so Um, So it takes a lot of the pressure off those of us who don't have the most social butterflies to be able to know that we can still go and participate and be part of a community um, and create this relationship with our dog without having to worry about it becoming, you know, a big, um, I don't know, not that it's going to become a big dog fight, but not having to be really conservative or or scared that our dog's going to, you know, snap at some at another dog or that sort of thing. So we try to make sure that everyone understands that there's a time and place for social hours with the dogs and those that are really social at the after our run at the end of our run those who want to let their dogs play totally welcome to it's a very happy environment but that's not the goal of these meetups the goal Mm -hmm. of these meetups is to work on your relationship with your dog um, around other people that are doing the same thing so I think the the piece of advice I always give everyone is um, when you show up to something like this or when you're at a trail, is just try to think of the other person. And if Mm -hmm. you have a really social, friendly dog, that's awesome. That's an amazing thing to have. Um, But that doesn't mean that everyone else wants your dog running up to them and saying hi as well. Right. You know, I think in, in this day and age, like we have such busy lives that when I myself is when I'm out on the trail with my dogs and I'm ski joring, like that's my one-on-one time with that mm-hmm. dog that I'm with in the moment and and frankly I'm I'm not always interested in saying hi to other dogs or other people sometimes that's just my designated hour that I have for that day and I'm going to squeeze in some ski joring and spend time with my dog like time is so precious sometimes yeah. and I'm not ever like trying to be rude or anything but I just want to get on the trail I want to get in the snow and just be with my dog and yeah and I, I like that you say that some dogs are just super social and some aren't and with my dog trainer hat on to me 
I, I feel like dogs get a different kind of socialization if they go on these, you know, pack ski runs because socialization isn't always a, a dog park or dogs being nose to nose for that matter. I think a lot of good socialization for dogs is just coexisting around each other. Not having their nose up another dog's butt or in their face. Like, I think just like a pack walk or a pack ski jour, like that is, there's so much going on that us humans can't hear, but the dogs are communicating through every second of it. And I I really want people to, to know that too. Like, no, they're, they don't look like they're, they're socializing like through our human eyes, but through the dog eyes, they're socializing every second of it. (laughs) Oh, totally. And I, and again, I think that, um, you know, people who have really friendly dogs, that's awesome, but that doesn't mean your dog gets to say hi to every dog it meets Um, and because we want the space to be inclusive to everyone it shouldn't be that only social dogs are allowed to go in public spaces and so I think understanding that um, by giving your dog boundaries and direction you're building your relationship with your dog Um, you're not if you don't let your dog say hi to another dog it's you're not going to create an unsocial dog (laughs) you're not going to like teach them that other dogs aren't friendly or something like that but what you're teaching them and what I would say what I like to do with my dogs is they focus on me Mm -hmm. so if I let if I give them the command to go say hi to another dog they'll go say hi to another dog but that's because I've indicated to them that's what we're doing right now. And if I give them the indication that we're skiing or they're walking beside me or we're doing something different, then they're okay with that. They're not stressed out or they don't have anxiousness about, well, I need to go see that dog. I need to go say hi because I've given them a different job and we're doing a different job at that time. So I think building your relationship with your dog and being able to give them different tasks and jobs and their whole world is okay what job are we doing now or what event or or task are we doing now is way more fulfilling than them being like i love every dog i just need to go say hi it's a one track like you are controlling the situation rather than just running after them as they are creating situations if that makes sense totally makes sense and i feel like would we have more structure in our relationships with our dogs and we're providing that guidance that they need, that in and of itself will make skijoring that much easier. So if if your dog is structured and they're listening and they're looking for that guidance from you and you're going down the trail, whether you're by yourself or you're with a group run and you tell your dog to go haw, they're going to listen and they're going to go ha, not just blow you off and go rogue down another trail, <laughs> head, you know. Totally. Um, and I think I think that's a big piece when if you're getting into ski during or bike during or even canny cross. Mm-hmm. One of the things to think about is, do you have a working relationship yeah. with your dog right. outside of harness sports? Because right. if you don't and it, you which is totally fine, too, like if if you have a very social friendly dog and you're always out hiking or or backpacking or doing stuff with them and they're just kind of off doing their own thing and they check in every once in a while, that's so awesome and that's super cool. And I've had adventures.
adventure dogs where I don't require anything other than they have a good time. But when you're thinking about then moving into a working partnership and relationship with your dog, if you haven't developed a mode of communication, if you haven't developed a relationship of trust or of them looking to you um, to tell them what they're supposed to be doing, then it's 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 unfair to expect that as soon as you hook right. them up and harness to you, that they're automatically going to listen or know what you want or understand what you're doing because you haven't built that trust and relationship and working relationship off off the leash, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. So, like, let's keep going down that avenue here. So let me ask you this. What I uh, tell my clients so here in Minnesota, winter is over. Well, at least where I am in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, not so much. Um, sorry, everyone. There's a ton <laughs> of snow still up there. <laughs> but down where I'm at, uh, we are trying to flirt with spring. So a lot of people are still asking, like, hey, I want a seizure. Like, what should I do? And a lot of times, like, the first question is about skis. And I'm like, hold on. I know we're excited, but let's work the dog first. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. just so do I would- groundwork, you know. Yeah. Like, I tell people all spring, all summer, and all fall, all I want you to do when you go on walks is I want you to practice easy and slow down. I want you to practice whoa and stop. Practice your left and right. So like go to a field and just make random turns and call out your commands. That way when you put your skis on in the winter, your dog's already like, oh, I know this game. Oh, wait, we get to go faster. All right. So yeah. is there like anything that you recommend to everyone that's in your your community group on, on how to practice commands or whatnot before they even put skis on their feet? Yeah, for sure. And I would say even before you ever put skis on your feet, practice it like ski jewelry and running shoes yeah, yeah, <laughs> and work with your dog on your bike. Like yeah. for me, when we first got our first two ski jewelry dogs, they were a year old um, and they had been running 20 mile runs with, they came from an Iditarod kennel. And so they were, we got them in January. So they were well miled up, very mm-hmm. experienced, young, full of energy. And I didn't know how to ski. So <laughs> basically I spent that whole first winter you know, 5 a.m. doing 10 mile jogs with these dogs to teach them their commands. And so I think that the key when you're first starting out, and especially when your dog is really new to it, is having maintaining control. And so when you're Mm -hmm. on skis, you're not in control Mm -hmm. and you can be an expert skier. But if your dog doesn't know what they're doing yet, then Mm -hmm. you're not in control. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think for me running canny cross. So those who don't know what that is, you basically just have a waist belt and your dog's hooked up to a bungee in their harness, the same you would be on skis, except you're in running shoes. And it means that I can call the command G and I can turn right. And if my dog's still running straight or going left or whatever, I'm still going to the right, which is the command I called, and they'll look and be like, oh, we're going that way. And so there's a lot of, I think your dog doesn't need to know the commands. They just need to be exposed to them Mm -hmm. and shown what they are and Mm shown what they mean. Mm -hmm. And so with my one of my best leaders, Pliny, he I got him as a tiny little puppy. 
and we would go walking in the woods and these woods had a lot of trails that would split. And so just when he was really little, I just started calling G or Ha or straight through, not thinking anything of it. And by the time he was, you know, five months old or six months old when we first put him in harness, he was already an impeccable G Ha leader right. because he just from random trial and error. And that's the thing, like they don't have to get it right. You just have to give them the opportunity to learn to learn it. And so I think that one of the things you, sorry, to backtrack, you asked yeah. one, what's one thing we recommend for our, you know, our members to do. And one of the things we do a lot with our puppies and when they're really little and with our older dogs is we play, it's called the box game. And so you can mm -hmm. probably Google it, but it's, the idea is free shaping and f like free shape learning. And so the old school mentality of dog training was you tell your dog to sit and then you push their butt down to the ground and then when they do it they get rewarded and so you're basically physically showing them what you want them to do and so they start associating the word sit with having their butt on the ground well the new way of training or thinking about especially when you want a dog that can make their own decisions and and figure things out rather than having to tell them exactly what to do all the time is what we call free shaping and so for taking that same example as you want your dog to sit, um, you know, they just kind of, if they just kind of hover their butt a little bit, they get, uh, I use, you can use a clicker or you can use a reward word. I use the word yes. So, um, so yeah, if I want a dog to learn how to sit, then they just kind of hover and they get rewarded for just almost sitting. And then we progress that to their their butt actually touches the ground and then their butt stays on the ground and they they you kind of reward them for these tiny micro increments of success. And I find that and it, we don't haven't even introduced the word sit yet. <laughs> so yeah, you're basically exactly. you're you're we call it you're capturing these behaviors that you want to see. And so. Um, I think with with my adults, I noticed this last year when I was on a race. And so so <laughs> sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. That's okay. Bas basically the idea. So that was the example of sit. But I think uh, it's a little easier to understand if you're doing, say, G and haw training. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I would call I could say G. And if a dog just looks to the right hand side, they get rewarded. If they then turn to the right hand side, they get another reward. And so you're trying, you're slowly building up these increments of, of success. And so I don't expect when I say, gee, they're gonna take a hard 90 degree turn mm -hmm. onto a trail. That's mm -hmm. not the expectation. The first in the very beginning, they just look at the trail on the right hand side and they're rewarded for that. And so I found we started playing this with our puppies when we had a litter um, and it's called the box game because you get your dog to interact with a box or an object. And so, again, it's they look at the box, they get rewarded. The next thing you want them to do is to touch the box then stand on the box then get in the box. So you're slowly building up these behaviors. And so we started playing these with puppies just just as a brain game, just as something for them to do, to learn how to problem solve. But last year I was on a race and I had a brand new leader in lead and we had to make a turn and there was all these people around so they were confused. And my leader Fish, he, I called G and he just looked at the trail and I said, yes. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, okay, that's good, that's good. So then he turned his head towards the trail and I said, yes. And he's like, oh, okay, we're going that way, guys, we're going that way. And he pulled the team out onto a G turn. Um, but it's not because he really knew what G meant, 
but he knew how to mm -hmm. offer behaviors until he got it right. Right. And so I think when we're so very long monologue to, to <laughs> say that rather than, you know, saying G and hauling your dog around to the right to show them that's the way to go, playing these exploratory games and free shaping games where you're actually teaching your dog to offer behaviors until they get it get it right and figure out what you're looking for is much more successful in the long run than being like oh my dog needs to learn what turning right means yeah i agree and I feel like you and I probably share the same brain because everything you're saying is everything I'm thinking. And I think us humans, we get so excited to do something new, like as we should. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we just get so excited that gets in the way and we miss those crucial steps that we maybe hadn't even thought of. And mm -hmm. The, me, I'm a perfect example. I, I lived in a tiny apartment and there was a huge courtyard outside of the apartment and I would put my skis on at the end of the night and I'd take Panda out and I would just ski back and forth in the same line back and forth. <laughs> but I didn't know anything about free shaping back then and now with with dogs that have come after panda we free shape so much mm -hmm. and and like you said that that old school mentality of of kind of just forcing a dog to do something so to speak i really just don't think that's the best route like that doesn't build a relationship and mm -hmm. i feel like with free shaping and other modalities of training too there there's so many great ways nowadays to train your dog that's more relationship based which is really going to help you get the results you're looking for to be able to do cane across or bike door or ski drawer or whatever dog powered sport for that matter yeah totally mm -hmm. Go ahead. I think too, so yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say, I think too, just like as, as you're talking and thinking about other people wanting to get into the sport and starting brand new is just remembering that um, too little is better than too much. Mm, and so when point. you're first starting, um, you, you know, it's, especially if you're a good skier, you want to be like, oh, I want to go do five miles. Like my dog mm. goes on 10 mile hikes, so a five mile ski should be no problem. But you have to remember that their brains are working overtime yeah. trying to figure out this new game. Yeah. And so really when you're first starting, one mile is probably yeah. enough. And yeah. one amazing way to do it, especially if you're by yourself or don't have other dogs around you for your dog to learn from is ski off leash out a mile and then hook them up for the mile back to the car. Mm. Like, so do set thinking about setting yourself, your dog and yourself up for success mm -hmm. to make sure that you're communicating clearly. They understand what the game is. They understand what you're asking and that you're not asking them to do it longer than they're mentally ready for at that time. Yeah. You'll find that by building really slowly and just doing these small little snippets. So say, and let's say you want to go skiing for an entire day, then go skiing for a couple miles, hook your dog up for half a mile, let them off, ski some more, but just making sure like, cause I know a lot of us, especially when you're first starting, like I love spending my whole day outside. So the thought of going on a one mile ski is a little boring, let's be honest. And so, but <laughs> yeah. being able to set it up where you can still have your full day of skiing, but you're not asking so, so much of your dog, setting up in these tiny little increments. And by the time you get to five miles and then 10 miles, you're both still having a really, really good time. Whereas if you do too much too fast, 
that's when you get into burnout. That's when you sour a dog. You both get frustrated. Um, so just always thinking quitting while everyone's having fun is way better than pushing longer or harder, even though you want to in the beginning. Like you said, you're, everyone's so excited and you want to be doing it. And if your dog's loving it, that's great. But think about quitting while you're ahead and quitting while everyone's having fun and just building slowly. A hundred percent. And and even though I've been ski joring with Panda for 10 years now, I'm still that person where I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to go out and we're going to do seven miles. That's that's my goal today. And we'll hit I'll look at my my phone and we'll hit that seven mile mark. And my dopamine level from <laughs> during from the snowfall, from the beauty of nature, it, it's just through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 let's let's just do let's just do three more miles and round it up to 10 and we'll get back to the car. And And I think that's where. We are unconsciously being selfish and we have to realize like, A, what is best for the dog? Because it's not about me right now. So I I think it's a good call out for people to, yeah, take your time and and do the miles that are appropriate. And I think one one piece that really helped with Panda and I and I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but to talk about drive in your dog, to talk mm-hmm. about mm, work ethic is pretty much what drive means for those that haven't heard the word drive used. Um, what I would do with her when she was a puppy, we would ski a hundred feet and then I'd snow plow and stop. And I'd be like, good girl, Panda, and really just rev her up. And I, I'd build that that excitability in her, but at the same time, she would get so frustrated and she'd get so pissed off that we were in a stop <laughs> and I'm and I would feed that. So we'd go a hundred feet and then we'd stop. Good girl, Panda. And she'd be barking and hooting and hollering and just pissed, but pissed <laughs> in a good way, right? Like pissed in a way like, whoa, the game stopped. Can you please press play again? So I think that's a really helpful way, too, is like stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. And then I think that really just helps them learn, too. Oh, hey, the game starts when I put pressure into the harness. Mm -hmm. And when I keep the pressure on, the game keeps going. So I think that that's kind of a, a handy way that that I did with her when she was a puppy. And I think it's good to let people know too, all these things that we're talking about, you don't have to do it just when you're learning or just when they're puppies. I screw around with Panda like this all the time still. Like I'll just stop and kind of check in and be like, where are you at dog? And she'll get (laughs) very vocal (laughs) and scream. And I'm like, okay, we're good. And I, I think it's nice to just kind of check in and do those little training drills. Like you don't have to do it as much anymore once you've started doing it for season after season. But I think it's a nice way to just kind of reconnect with your dog and give them a little bit of drills and then keep going for for however many miles or however long you plan on trying to go for. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point about drive, and this is something we talk a lot about with our members, Mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, if you you see me or my friend Alyssa or Michelle, you know, we all have 
purpose bred Alaskan Husky sled dogs that come from long distance lines that are bred to do this. And so they're born wanting to do this. And especially for us, our puppies watch our adults leave the yard in harness for their first six months of their lives. And so by the time they ever get into harness, they're raring to go genetically, Mm -hmm. mentally. They've watched adults do it, that this is what they live for. Whereas you can have someone who maybe has a golden retriever who loves to adventure and be outside, but isn't going to be pounding in harness and isn't going to have that crazy high drive, which is totally okay. Yep. And so I think the, the whole goal of ski juring is building that relationship with your dog and ad- having a partner to adventure with. Mm-hmm. And so we, we hear this a lot. We get a lot of people that come out with Siberian Huskies or Northern breed Huskies that really, when you, when you look at them, you know, they're, they're bred they come from show lines so a lot of that work ethic has been bred out of them and so they're really there for the looks but when someone shows up with a Siberian Husky they're like well they're a northern breed they should pull they should want to do this and I think that's a huge misconception is that just because your dog looks like a northern breed doesn't mean they want to do that job and so we'll see a lot of Siberian Huskies who don't want to do it by themselves They don't want to do it unless there's another dog with them. And even when they do, they're kind of just like, eh, like, I'll do this with you, but I'm not going to pull hard and my tug's going to be pretty low, pretty relaxed. And that's totally okay. So understanding that um, basically it's about getting out with your dog. And while we can teach things like how to keep the line tight or you can increase your communication with your dog of what you're asking of them. Um, at some point, you need to evaluate and say, is it that my dog doesn't understand what I'm asking, or is it that my dog doesn't want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Because it's just not part of their drive or mentality. And, and so meeting your dog where they're at and being able to work on your communication, but also understanding their limitations mm. or desires, what what's fun for them. Right. And so I think that's a huge piece that, you know, it's easy when you see these high world-class ski jurors or dogs that are bred for this. And you're like, well, why doesn't my dog do that? Like, what, what am I doing wrong? How can I teach drive? And I always say, you can't teach drive. You can harness drive and encourage mm. drive, but you can't teach it. Yeah. It's like dogs have a whole lot of it or a bit of it that you can work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's a personality trait <laughs> rather yeah. than something you can teach a dog. Um, so I think that's a, a people can often get frustrated. Yeah. And so and then, too, for people coming into the sport who maybe don't have a dog or who have an older dog and want to get a puppy. Think about what kind of sports you want to do with that, Mm -hmm. with your next dog. Mm -hmm. If you want to go super fast on skate skis and, you know, ski jour at a high class world level, get a German short hair pointer. No, (laughs) if you want to do these really long distance backcountry adventures, think about an Alaskan Husky. Like Mm -hmm. there isn't a one size fits all. And and even the things we've been talking about today with training, there's not one size fits all. We have these tips and tricks that maybe work with our dogs, but Mm -hmm. you need to figure out what motivates the dog you have. And if you're thinking about getting another dog, think about what you want to accomplish with them and think about the genetics that are going to set you up for success with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me ask you this. So we talked about all this training and how to, how to help people ski jour. How can we help you? How can we help support your pack, support your kennel? How can we follow you? I know you ah. do this really cool sticker stuff of your dog. <laughs> I, I'd love to share that with everyone. So let's hear some more about that. 
Sure. Yeah. So like I said, we're really kind of young, new kennel. So we we just had anywhere from two to five or six dogs for a long time. And some of that was we had older dogs that were passing away. Sometimes we'd have foster dogs we were taking care of that ran in the team. And then when we moved to California in April 2020, we decided that we were going to have a litter of puppies. And being in the lower 48, there's a lot more longer distance races. I'm talking mm-hmm. about like 100 mile races that you can run with eight dogs. Yeah. And so when, when I was in Alaska, a lot of the ra- longer distance races, you need large kennels and you need big teams to run. But moving down here, the accessibility of races that were still longer in length, but smaller teams just and so we this was our first year of really racing we was our first year doing 100 mile races and so we went out and we did the triple crown which was the oregon eagle cap extreme idaho sled dog challenge and then montana race to the sky and then we went up to canada and did 200 100 mile races up there um and so as part of and and so like you're asking we're very we both work real jobs and (laughs) we're just kind of like oh they're just our dogs like we're just take care of ourselves but we've had so many friends and family and and people who started following us that are just like how can we support you how can we help and be part of the team and so each so last year last summer we made a bunch of we call it dog face swig and so it's we basically take some of the dogs from the pack and do caricatures of their faces and did t-shirts and tank tops and and stickers like you mentioned and so we'll be doing that again this summer for to just basically we we it pays for booties and maybe if we need new harnesses but it's more it's just a way that people can like actually have dog faces on (laughs) t-shirts and and we get to share like the joy of our dogs with with other people and so a great way to follow us is i'm really active on instagram so jess reimer j-e-s-r-e-i-m-e-r um, or the hashtag Rhymer Pack um, often gets used. And then we, we do have a website. So www.rhymerpack.com. And there you can kind of see what our upcoming race schedule is. We'll post that when we sign up for races in the fall. Um, you kind of see where we're going to be. You can link to our Instagram through there. You can see meet the dogs on the website. And then when we do, you can buy stickers or when we do release T-shirts, they'll be up there as well. Um, so it's always fun, like this year, especially being on the racer. We got to meet so many new people and and I don't want to say we have fans because it just I don't know It still feels like we're just this little podunk little dog pack But we do have fans now and it's really really fun to connect with people Online and people that reach out and send messages and buy t-shirts and that sort of thing It's just it's awesome to share the sport and what we do with other people. So it's been a really fun journey for sure Yeah, I don't want you to discredit yourself and and say that you're a tiny kennel and and stuff like that like what you're doing is making a difference and it matters. And I say that because like, I'm a fan. I, I heard you. <laughs> I am like, I'm a huge fan now. And I heard you on first paw media interviewing on their podcast. And I just was so inspired and I couldn't wait to keep hearing more and more about your story in, in that podcast. And I'm very thankful to be talking with you right now. And whenever you have new shirts and stickers come out, I will be your first customer. <laughs> I want to be part of the pack. I'm so excited for that. And I'm glad that we can be a means for people to learn about you and also be inspired by you and to be able to help support your kennel too. And I'm, I'm really proud of all the great work that you're doing with your kennel and what you're doing with your community and just helping educate everyone on how to can across and bike drawer and ski drawer and, and 
aside from that, just having a good relationship with your dog. Um, well, thank you. Yes. So with that being said, thank you. Thank you, adventurers, for listening to this episode of the North Paws Wilderness. If you have a dog diary story you'd like to be read on air or a suggestion of who to have as a guest, please email northpawspod, that's northpaws, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media. Until next time, happy trails and tell your dog I said hi.